Compass Media Networks. This is America's First News. This weekend with your host, Gordon Deal. Pricey Generics. I'm Gordon Deal with Jennifer Koshenka. Thanks for spending part of your weekend with us. Here's what's coming up this hour. Insurance companies are charging thousands of dollars for what normally might be inexpensive generic drugs. Here, how it works. On the travel fronts, what it would be like to fly on a plane that had a section just for kids. Is separation, though, really the answer? Advances in technology mean voicemails can go the way of the dinosaur. Hear the latest in phone etiquette. And how to fight the sleep problems that hit us during middle age. There's actually natural natural age-related changes. It's, it's something, um, your, your actual sleep architecture is what they call it, experts call it changes. And that actually starts in our 20s. So the amount of deep sleep, or what's called slow-wave sleep, we get during the night starts to decline then. Andrea Peterson at the Wall Street Journal on how soon age messes with our sleep. Well, according to the Wall Street Journal, insurers are hiking the price of generic drugs. For example, the cancer drug Gleevec went generic back in 2016 and can be bought today for as little as $55 a month. But many patients' insurance plans are paying more than 100 times that. In-depth analysis from Eric Calciano, lead benefits advisor at New City Insurance. Eric, what's going on? Essentially, the biggest piece of what's going on is it all comes down to entities called pharmacy benefit managers, which are essentially drug middlemen that are plugged into health insurance plans that coordinate the drug transaction and they manage drug formularies, basically the acceptable drug lists on your health plan. And they're the ones that set the prices that flow uh, for the drugs that flow through everyone's health plans. All right. So we've all come to basically understand that when a patent ends for a popular drug, here come the generics taking a shot at the market and they're usually affordable. But what's happened to something like Gleevec, the cancer drug. Yeah, so what, what we're seeing there is, so we've got those pharmacy benefit managers that I mentioned. We have the three biggest ones in the country are CVS Caremark, which has common ownership with Aetna. We have Optum, which has common ownership with United Healthcare, And we have Express Scripts, which has common ownership with Cigna. Those, those PBMs, while you're able to access, if you're not going through your health plan, you could access Gleevec at $55. When it's going through the, your health plans, we're oftentimes seeing those pharmacy benefit managers charging over 100 times that, charging $6,600. And the, the, the reason why they're essentially able to get away with it is because all of the consolidation that's happened in the healthcare industry. These, as I mentioned, they've got common ownership with the largest carriers. So they're plugged into the health plans because it profits the health plans, that it profits the health insurers when they overcharge. They own a lot of the pharmacies. So the pharmacies also profit when there's overcharging. So everybody's getting a piece of it and that's how they're getting away with continuing to charge much more, even though it's exactly what you're saying where the reason why we have uh, eventually patents end is the ability to allow individuals to move over to generics, which is supposed to significantly reduce the costs of drugs and, and improve the access to drugs for Americans. Mm. We're speaking with Eric Calciano, lead benefits advisor for New City Insurance. We're talking about why generic drugs are so expensive. How come, and I know that at like $6,600 a month, for a cancer drug like Levac, maybe that's not coming out of my pocket, but the insurance company is certainly, certainly getting dinged here. How come the insurance companies don't punch back? 
Yeah, and that's the thing because there's common ownership, so they're 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 getting a piece of all that. So for the health insurers, they actually when they see those those increased claims costs, that is something that they pass along to the consumer in terms of increase premiums every single year. So, you know, a lot of times the, a lot of times the individual who's getting these prescriptions, they're not paying that $6,600, they're paying their copay on their plan. So it doesn't really hit them directly. And so that's one of the reasons why individuals may not be so up in arms because they just, it all happens on the back end, but that's ultimately what's getting passed along to everybody to the consumer in terms of higher premiums. So you used the phrase before how they get away with it. Mm-hmm. which uh, certainly seems like a, a red flag here for business purposes. Uh, is there mm-hmm. not a, a better way or a more equitable way? There, there are better ways, absolutely. So the pharmacy benefit managers, these major players in the pharmacy benefit managing space weren't always like this. If you went back before the Affordable Care Act, they had models where they charged a per script fee which was essentially meant that the health insurers charged a flat dollar amount every time a drug was dispensed. And so there weren't any hidden fees, any inflation in the cost of drugs. It was whatever, whatever drug the individual selected, they, they charged a flat dollar amount. That, create, that made it so that the pharmacy benefit managers didn't steer the patients to any specific drugs that profited them more because regardless of the drug they went to, they received the same amount of compensation. And there are many pharmacy benefit managers in this country. It's just those three that I named control about 85% of the health plans. But the, there are others that are out there that will that are more competitive, that will go back to that old model, will go back to a transparent model where they just charge a flat dollar amount. So there's certainly a better way to do it. And then beyond that, there's there's also, we're also seeing some intervention potentially happening on the government level to try and stop this as okay. well. Thanks, Eric. Eric Calciano, Lead Benefits Advisor at New City Insurance. Coming up next, the end of voicemails is near. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2023. Thanks for spending part of your weekend with us. Phone calls have been around for, what, 147 years. The iPhone, 16 years. And FaceTime video voicemails, about a week now. Not surprisingly, how we make calls has changed drastically alongside advances in technology. The new etiquette from tech reporter Heather Kelly at the Washington Post. Heather, do we need voicemails anymore? So voicemails are still being left. All of us have them. Um, Do all of us listen to them? I don't think so. Uh, A couple things have happened. One, texting exists, obviously. A great way to get across factual information. And two, a lot of voicemails are now transcribed automatically by our smartphones. So we're still basically reading them as a text. Uh, So I, and, you know, everybody I spoke to with the story would like to ask other people, please stop leaving a voicemail, especially if it's about factual details that we need to understand and write down. You can leave a voicemail if it's sentimental, a happy birthday song, a grandparent saying I love you, something along those lines. <laughs> okay, so uh, if you need to get a hold of somebody and they don't answer, you say, to don't call back, just send them a text saying, like, I could really talk to you, I really need to talk to you now, it's urgent. Yes, however, <laughs> I have so many pet peeves about this. Don't just say, call me. 
it's simple, it's to the point, but um, when I read the words, call me with no details, I think you're trapped under something heavy, you're in an ER, you've been arrested. Please add a little detail of like why you want me to call you, how urgent is it? Uh, call me sometime today if you have a minute, something like that. What was the point you made about uh, you don't need to answer the phone? So this, this was something great that um, the Emily Post Institute brought up, was that it's not just on the person calling to have all these rules, you as the person answering can also choose to ignore something, to send it to voicemail and hope they don't leave you one. Um, so you should really use that power so you're not answering your phone in the middle of an awkward situation where you're going to sound angry and maybe hurt feelings. Just send an automated text or call them back later. We're speaking with Heather Kelly, tech reporter at the Washington Post. She's got a good story called The New Phone Call Etiquette, Text First and never leave a voicemail. Um, you made a good point, too, about uh, emotions, right? The emotions are for voice. Facts are for texting. Yes. If you are in a fight with a significant other or a sibling or your mom, that should not take place over text. That's not a good way to solve our problems. It should be a phone call. Better yet, if you have time, it should be a video call like FaceTime where you can actually meet each other's faces. It's going to make the fight either blow up faster or resolve much quicker. What does uh, iOS 17 bring to us on this front? So this is why I actually thought about it. iOS 17 has a whole bunch of new phone features, but the two biggest for me, um, one is a throwback, is it will automatically transcribe a voicemail while it's being left. So you can choose to screen your call and pick up the phone and say, oh, hey, actually, I am here. Um, that's something those of us who had these things called answering machines yes. still remember doing. <laughs> um, and the other feature is if you FaceTime somebody and they don't answer, you can leave a video message. This is hysterical to me. I love it. I want everybody to leave me video messages. <laughs> Many people will, will disagree and not want to see those. <laughs> okay. So, I, I mean, now you're going to get the variety, right? You're going to get the humorous ones. You're going to get the serious ones. Uh, people who don't know how to do video, right? Holding the phone in the wrong place. Like my mother-in-law. <laughs> we don't, yeah. Framing, framing your face on a video is so key. And something that older phone users really like is for children who are FaceTiming with grandparents to stop moving around with the phone. It makes them dizzy and a little disoriented. Put that phone someplace steady, frame your face, frame the kid's face, and just stay still until the call is over. Love that. Love that. Um, speaker phones in public. I, I can't believe that we still need to remind people that this should not be a thing. It is. And I think one reason, too, is like because so many people video call, that defaults to speakerphone. So it takes an extra step to be like, oh, I should have headphones on. I can't just hold this in my ear. Um, it is considered a bit rude, especially depending on how crowded it is, how quiet it is. Are other people forced to listen to your conversation? If it's boring, that's terrible. If it's a really juicy conversation, come stand next to me, and I'm, I'm happy to listen. <laughs> your last point, too, was, was don't stop talking on the phone. Don't. I mean, especially during the pandemic, I think a lot of people felt isolated and lonely, um, Zoom calls became a thing, Zoom hanging out, uh, a phone call, actually hearing somebody's voice is actually really great for our mental health um, and for preventing loneliness. So do call people, just make sure it's a convenient time for everybody and that the phone is not looking up your nose. Nobody, nobody wants that. Thanks, Heather. Heather Kelly, tech reporter at The Washington Post. There are many reasons why many sleep troubles hit in middle age. Here's what happens to sleep as we age and how we can improve our shut-eye from this weekend's Jennifer Koshenka. A good night's sleep gets harder as we age, but that doesn't mean we're doomed to being sleep-deprived forever. We get the story from Andrea Peterson of the Wall Street Journal. Andrea, what does the National Sleep Foundation say about how much sleep we do get? Well, what we found is that I think a lot of people 
or understand that we don't tend to sleep as well as we age. And it actually hits sooner than we might think. You know, we really start to feel the effects of, of age on our sleep in our 40s and 50s. And um, there's a bunch of reasons why this happens, stress, medical conditions, and actually normal biological changes that happen as we age. But there are definitely things we can do to sort of improve our sleep as we age. Why do we seem to not be able to get into a deep sleep the older we get? Now, it's, it's interesting. So there's actually natural, natural age-related changes. It's, it's something, um, your, your actual sleep architecture is what they call it, experts call it changes. And that actually starts in our 20s. So the amount of deep sleep, or what's called slow-wave sleep, we get during the night starts to decline then. And we really start to notice that in our 40s and 50s. And this, this kind of sleep is actually particularly important for repairing muscle and bone and strengthening our immune systems. Um, and no one knows quite, uh, quite sure what, what is driving this reduction in deep sleep, but scientists think that at least in part, the number of actually neurons in the brain that we have that promote sleep and wakefulness actually decline as we age. Andrea, do we know if sleep apnea is actually increasing or are we just hearing about it more? So what, what we do know is that sleep disorders become more common as we get older. And sleep apnea, which is a disorder where people repeatedly stop breathing during sleep, and so they wake up repeatedly, and so it can, you, know, you can end up being really, uh, you can snore, you can end up being really sleepy during the day. That becomes much more common in your 40s and 50s. That's particularly in men. The rates among women actually tend to rise after menopause. And part of the reason is because we tend to gain weight in middle age. And actually, that extra flesh in the neck can compress the airway. Also, in women after menopause, um, uh, there's some association between reproductive hormones and, um, and, and sort of uh, the kind of in our, in our tissue. And so, so it actually, the, these reproductive hormones contribute to muscle tone. And that can be part of the reason why you get the increase in risk after menopause in women. We're speaking with Andrea Peterson of the Wall Street Journal. Andrea, let's talk about insomnia. A lot of people have it. Yes. So insomnia is just basically when you have trouble falling asleep or staying asleep, and it is often fueled by stress. And obviously stress can affect us no matter how old we are, but midlife can be particularly stressful because a lot of people are juggling kids, aging parents, and it's also a time of usually peak work responsibilities. So the things that can help with, with that is Make sure you're moving during the day. Exercise can really help with stress relief. Another expert I talked to said that expressing some of your worries by writing in a journal, praying, talking to a friend, that can help also to sort of get those worries out of your head, and, and that can help promote sleep. Another possible problem is the fact that as we get older, we take more medications. What kinds of effects do medications have on our sleep? That's right. So there's a lot of actually common medications um, that can impact sleep. And drugs that treatments for blood pressure and pain can can really interfere with sleep. And so also underlying health conditions, things like back pain and arthritis can hurt your sleep. Um, also, as men move into their 40s and 50s, their prostates tend to enlarge. That can cause more middle of the night trips to the bathroom. So, you know, ways you can address that is obviously, you know, know, addressing any underlying health conditions, treating pain with things like heat, massage, physical therapy, and then have your doctor review your medications to see if there might be 
something might be contributing to sleep problems. You might be able to change medications or actually change the time that you take them that um, in a way so that you're taking them in a way that they won't they'll, they'll be less likely to, just, to, just, to disrupt your sleep. You talked earlier about the importance of exercise. What are some of the other ways that we can maintain a, a good sleep schedule? Right. So I was talking earlier about sort of these normal age-related changes that happen until we get less deep sleep. And there's really not much we can do about that. But what it does mean is that we really need to sort of double down on good sleep practices, like things that we could get away with maybe when we were younger. We can't really anymore. You know, things like obviously avoiding caffeine at least eight hours before bedtime and you're know, keeping your bedroom cool dark and quiet um, maintaining a regular sleep-wake schedule that's really important that's this weekend's jennifer koshenka with wall street journal reporter andrea peterson 30 minutes now after the hour on this weekend one thing we all have in common is a need to feed if you're like me you love to eat and want to eat right without much pre-planning and shopping enter hello fresh america's number one meal kit Kickstart a fresh fall with HelloFresh handling all the meal planning and shopping. They do the work, you take a bow. Plus, HelloFresh is more than just dinners. There's breakfast, quick lunches, fresh snacks, tasty, time-saving, and delivered to your front door. HelloFresh's convenience, variety, and quality keep me eating right all day and night. Right now, save from the start. Go to HelloFresh.com slash 50Gordon and use code 50Gordon for 50% off plus 15% off the next two months. HelloFresh's menu offers 40 recipes and over 100 add-ons. Go to HelloFresh.com slash 50Gordon and use code 50Gordon for 50% off plus 15% off the next two months. Say goodbye to boring meal plans and HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh.com slash 50Gordon. Thanks for spending time with us. Gordon Deal with Jennifer Koshenka. Coming up this half hour, a kids section on planes. Also, deconstructing the new student loan repayment plan, plus the NFL's most unstoppable play and pet pampering extended to rodents. We'll have that story in about 20 minutes. Well, how nice would it be to not have a baby or toddler screaming on your flight for hours? A recent survey by an online passport photo generation tool found that the vast majority of us support the idea of adult-only flights. How it might work from Zach Wichter, travel columnist at USA Today. Zach, this is a thing? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, who among us hasn't been on a flight where there's a screaming baby? It makes for a really unpleasant experience for everyone involved, including the baby. Um, But, you know, some airlines have tried this, especially airlines abroad, where they are making kid-free sections on some planes. And I don't know. For me personally, I don't know if that's really the answer, partly because I understand from the airline's perspective operationally that adds a layer of complexity and can make things more difficult if, you know, if they have to swap planes or if they're oversold or something like that. But also because, and I wrote about this in the column, yes, a screaming kid is annoying, but there are plenty of annoying adults on the plane too. So I actually don't (laughs) think that separating kids out and kind of singling babies out as the prime annoyances on airplanes is frankly fair to the baby. Yeah. Yeah. Babies aren't like telling off airline flight attendants or going at them violently or something. Right. Right. Exactly. And I mean, frankly, like 
we've all seen people or heard people, you know, listening to music or playing video games on their phones without headphones, right? And so at least if there's a child doing that, you can turn to the parent and say, hey, could you put like headphones on the kid? If it's an adult doing it, I feel like that sort of thing is way more likely to blow up if you turn to a fully grown adult who is already misbehaving in that way and try to reason with them to put headphones on. We're speaking with Zach Wichter, travel columnist at USA Today. His piece is called Kids on Planes Can Be Annoying, But Separation Isn't the Answer. All right, so like these sections, like how would they work? Doesn't that make more work for flight attendants to have to keep an eye on kids? So it's not the sort of thing where like kids are going to be separated from adults and then kids are sitting by themselves. I think it's more like family seating sections and adult only seating sections. Okay. But yeah, I mean, it certainly could put more work on the flight attendants. And like I was saying before, it definitely adds a layer of operational complexity for airlines because let's say a person has booked a seat in the adults only section uh, and then the plane gets swapped out for a smaller plane and the seat that the person maybe paid extra for is no longer available on the new equipment. You know, that's the sort of thing. We see this all the time with upgrades. Now, if someone has paid for a premium economy seat, they get swapped into a regular economy seat uh, because the airline has had to switch equipment for their flight. You know, it's just another thing that you could potentially get an annoyed passenger if uh, if you make this offering and then for whatever reason at the last minute it's not available. Yeah. Could, let's say, the airlines generate revenue in some way if they were to kind of create a child-free zone on a plane? Oh, definitely. I mean, I think that this is the sort of thing that people, some people anyway, would be willing to pay for. I saw a survey that I think said people may be even willing to pay something like a 30% premium. Wow. I don't have the I don't have the stats in front of me, but I know that they're in the column. Um, so yeah, I think that this is something that could be a revenue booster. But again, it's that added complexity that airlines really have to balance. Like, is the extra revenue that they could get by charging a premium for a child-free seating section, does that balance out with the operational complexity that it adds? And ultimately, does do they break even or, you know, become profitable? by selling these seats. Uh, I think it's unclear. I think that we would see this a lot more. It would be a lot more common if the business case was so black and white. Thanks, Zach. Zach Wichter, travel columnist at USA Today. Thanks for spending part of your weekend with us. The government's new SAVE plan offers the lowest monthly payments of any income-driven repayment plan out there, even triggering a $0 a month payment for those living on limited budgets. Payments are based on the borrower's income and family size. But the program can be confusing. Here's Susan Tompor, personal finance columnist at the Detroit Free Press, part of the USA Today Network. Susan, take us through it. You know, many of our millions of uh, borrowers, student loan borrowers, are looking at uh, payments resuming after nearly three years of non-payment during a pandemic pause. And the payments will resume uh, beginning in October. Uh, this new program, uh, called a SAVE program, is a way for many people to cut their student loan bill each month. You typically will have to sign up for it, 
Um, although if you're on a different repayment program called Repayee, uh, those borrowers are going to be signed up automatically. The idea is if you are having trouble, financial difficulties, uh, maybe you're not making as much money as uh, that payment, uh, old payment would allow, um, this is one way of reducing the payment. It's also one way um, for some to reach student loan forgiveness a little bit earlier. Um, it's an interesting program. Uh, that is uh, just been launched in August, so many people may not even know about it. And uh, some students I talked with, you know, were like, you know, seems like they didn't want to look into it. They didn't want to take the time. Um, but I did run across, uh, you know, some are signing up for it. No doubt, you know, the the uh, administration is uh, putting out numbers saying, you know, people are signing up for it. Um, but a lot of people I've talked with are very confused and, you know, don't want to bother looking at it. I did run across one teacher in Michigan who took the time to uh, go online, and you want to go online and look at a calculator that's going to spell out mm-hmm. what your payments will be each month based on uh, different programs. Uh, he initially thought that this wasn't for him, um, but it did bring down his payment quite a bit. Um, you know, and, and for some people, it's going to cut your payment in half. Um, the good thing is, um, if you're not paying uh, all the interest that's due per month, that interest isn't being added back onto your loan. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, so that that's really the big deal, and and sometimes people don't understand it because earlier repayment programs had uh, you know built that interest that you hadn't paid each month and thrown it back into the loan, and that is how you could owe far more uh, than what you had borrowed even while you were yeah. paying on the loan. That thing just kept building and building on you. So is the save program like just a, a taxpayer subsidy essentially? Well, it looks like it will be another subsidy, of course, because it does. Um, you know, cut some of those payments, uh, you're going to be lowering the payments and the interest. Um, and what's even more interesting is next year, uh, the payments could even be lower for many people. Right now it's based on 10% of discretionary income, but the promise uh, online by the de- education department is, and they claim they have the right to do this, they have the ability to do this, um, is that it would go to 5%, which would mean your your payment that you might see now would be cut, could be cut in half next year again based on your income. Wow. Um, does this work for everybody? No. Um, it works for people who um, might be having a steady income or might have had a loss in income. Um, it's not going to be good for you um, if you have you know thinking you're signing up for a dramatically higher paying job soon, or your income is already relatively high uh, and your student debt load is low. A lot of this is based on you know uh, that ratio of uh, debt to income and uh, so, you know, it, you can't assume that this is good for everyone, but you shouldn't assume also that uh, your old payment is just fine. Uh, okay. You need to really dig into the details on this one because I think you can save money. I think some people, it can be a big game changer for them, even if they're not already living paycheck to paycheck. But clearly if you're living paycheck to paycheck, and uh, another p- important point which I did not mention yet is that if you have a family, uh, the payments are going to uh, be even lower. So if you're a single person, it's based on a single person, but if you have uh, two or three children that you're supporting um, and you're in a lower-paying job, that payment is even lower. Some people uh, who make $15 an hour now could owe nothing each month under SAVE, and uh, that's important, of course, to their budget. They can use that money for food and housing costs, but at the same time, you sign up for a program like that, it's not just that you're paying nothing, um, you're, you're not uh, hurting your credit score as well, and also 
um, those uh, payments of zero dollars are counted toward loan forgiveness. And there is going to be some loan forgiveness as part of this program, um, especially for those, um, uh, you know, who do do have lower income. So, um, and it can be a lower income and lower debt. It can be over a 10-year period, which is pretty good. Thanks, Susan. Susan Tompor, personal finance columnist at the Detroit Free Press. Did you know traditional bed sheets harbor as much bacteria as a toilet seat? The germs in your sheets can cause acne, allergies, stuffy noses, and other gross ailments. Fears, though, that you can put to bed with Miracle Made bed sheets. Miracle Made uses silver infused fabrics inspired by NASA that are thermal regulating to keep you at a perfect temperature all night. Miracle Made is self cleaning, self cooling, luxurious, eco friendly bedding designed to protect your skin for more restorative rest. My wife and I love them. Now, my listeners can have a clean night's sleep while saving over 40% and sleep cool all summer and warm all winter. The website, trymiracle.com slash Gordon. Claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% at checkout. Miracle-made products are backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Again, the website, trymiracle.com slash Gordon. trymiracle.com slash Gordon to save big. You can sleep cool, comfy, and clean. Miracle-made bedding, NASA-inspired for out-of-this-world comfort. Sleep clean with Miracle. Hey, glad you're with us. Popularized by the Philadelphia Eagles and quarterback Jalen Hurts, the NFL play that torments defenses is a twist on the traditional quarterback sneak. Only instead of the quarterback lunging forward solo, he gets some extra muscle from his teammates pushing him from behind. How do you stop it? Here's Jonathan Clegg, editor at the Wall Street Journal. Jonathan, set this up. People may remember this play from from last season. The Eagles ran the uh, the tush push, as they've as it's become known. Um, they ran it a bunch of times on on, on way to the Super Bowl. Um, it, yeah, essentially, like you say, it's just a bunch of uh, teammates line up behind Hertz. The offensive line pushes forward. Hertz runs forward, and then the teammates behind him push him over the line. And it came up during the offseason when the NFL looked at it and there was a strong suspicion they might ban it. They ultimately chose not to do that. But whenever it was written about, it was referred to as a sort of rugby-style scrum. Um, as it happens, the Rugby World Cup is taking place in France right now. I put it to some of these rugby coaches that this was a rugby scrum, and they corrected me. It's not a rugby scrum at all. It's They do have a, a, this type of play in rugby, but it's known as something completely different. It's called a maul. Now, essentially, all of rugby involves... Um, you know, teammates trying to trying to push their uh, uh, the, the ball carrier through a huge tangle of players. Mm-hmm. Um, that is essentially what rugby boils down to. There's like many different types of this type of thing. There's the scrum, this the the maul, which they were talking about here. There's another thing called the ruck. But it turns out that the maul is is the most accurate description for what the Eagles are doing. And um, and yeah, rugby coaches have spent um, you know more than a hundred years thinking of ways to stop them all, and they had um, they had some suggestions that uh, teams facing the Eagles might like to try. Okay, so one of them is locking arms, uh, which is apparently not against the rules. It's not even something like that in the rules in the NFL. That's right. We actually checked this with the league office. Uh, the uh, head of officiating of the NFL confirmed to us there is no rule stopping the defensive lineman from binding arms. There is a rule preventing the offensive line from doing it. This was something that they used oh. to try way back in the day, when uh, in the earliest days of American football. Um, but, uh, but yes, uh, uh, there is no rule stopping the, the defensive line from doing it. The only question is whether <laughs> it might not be quite so wise, given that, um, you know, this is like, a thousand pounds of uh, of offensive muscle uh, plowing towards you, whether it's sort of uh, medically 
sound idea to link arms like that mm. uh, we're not sure about but okay. the idea is basically getting as close as possible so that there are no um, gaps between the defensive line not sort of lining up as they traditionally do where it's a defensive lineman and then a gap and then the next one a gap the third one and so on um, the, the closer they are together this is not a situation where there's any danger of of uh, the eagles running the ball around the outside it's pretty obvious when they're planning to do this play and so the rugby coaches suggest the best thing to do is 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 uh, mass very closely together on the defensive line um pull the linebackers so they're almost part of the line themselves and essentially forming like a sort of picket fence of players that the um that the offensive can't can't break through i don't get the sense that defenses are necessarily practicing this though perhaps unless you're in the uh, the nfc east division with the eagles that's right i think that's the big thing right this is not as a play that this is the play that basically only the eagles run at this point and um teams just don't have the practice time we know that one of the hardest things for the NFL, um, for NFL defenses at the moment, is as the league has limited practice time over the last 20 years, they just get less time to practice these mm, sorts of right. things. Um, they can't sort of dive into, you know, specific uh, plays like this to, you know, to guard against an opponent they might meet only once every eight seasons or something. Thanks, Jonathan. Jonathan Clegg, editor at the Wall Street Journal. Well, we'll finish with this. People have splurged on their cats and dogs for ages, but the Wall Street Journal says now the pet high life is trickling down to tinier creatures. Amanda Norman, who lives with nine guinea pigs, opened Norm's Piggy Pen in Rockford, Illinois, a store devoted to pint-sized pets. The store sells homemade treats as well as slings so people can carry their guinea pigs around like they're human babies. For $40, the furry pets can get a bath, brush, and a blow-dry. PetSmart hired celebrity designers Nate Berkus and Jeremiah Brent to create furniture and decor for rodents, reptiles, and fish. The faux leather couch they made was inspired by Italian leather sofas from the 1970s. Laura Figgett in San Jose, California, is finding more options since she first got guinea pigs 14 years ago. They now nibble on truffles that she buys from an online shop called Rock and Scott that are made of rolled-up hay and dehydrated fruits. Her guinea pig, Alaria, has a $38 wooden castle. The guinea pigs can nibble on the wood to shave down their ever-growing teeth. That'll do it for this hour. For Jennifer Koshenka, I'm Gordon Deal. Thanks for listening to This Weekend.